This is tape number two of Dr. Joel Hunter's series, Faith from Heaven to Earth. The subject of his second message is being established in faith. And from the New American Standard, Dr. Hunter's text is found in Second Chronicles chapter 20, verses 20 through 22, and it reads as follows. And they rose early in the morning and went out to the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, O Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Put your trust in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Put your trust in his prophets and succeed. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who sang to the Lord and those who praised him in holy attire. As they went out before the army and said, Give thanks to the Lord, for his loving kindness is everlasting. And when they began singing and praising, the Lord set ambushes against the son of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, so they were routed. And now, let's join in for praise and worship, followed by Dr. Joel Hunter's message, Being Established in Faith. Message number two of the series, Faith from Heaven to Earth. Well, if we can just get these guys to loosen up a little bit, <coughs> we'll uh, do our scripture reading like that every Sunday. What do you think? Every... Um, if you have your uh, Bibles with you, would you turn to the... Uh, second book of Chronicles, the 20th chapter. <clears throat> and I'm just going gonna, gonna to do something a little bit different uh, this week. I was, uh, um, I was on a prayer retreat and a writing retreat for a good part of this, uh, this week, this past week. And uh, <clears throat> did a lot of running, you know, a lot of you know, four-wheeling in an open Jeep. That's why, that's why I got this new hairdo, you know. <laughs> It just you know, my hair was you know kind of like this all week. I looked in the mirror, kind of liked it, left it like that, you know. <clears throat> so, and I and I just had some time to to relax and uh, uh, concentrate on this week's message. And and God just seemed to say, you know what, uh, the, the outline's fine, do the outline, but but just take your time, kind of walk through, um, navigate through the, the that that twentieth chapter, and. Uh, and I'll just bring up a little something different, a little different emphasis for every service because there's going to be some needs in some of these services and, and some people that I want to reach um, differently in different services. And so we're just going to do that tonight. And so let me pray that the Holy Spirit would just be particularly with this group tonight and with my, my attention. <clears throat> Holy Spirit, come and for the sake of us all, just give us an emphasis on... Uh, different parts of this chapter tonight as we need to hear them personally. Um, God, you have given us your word for our encouragement and for our instruction, but <clears throat> mostly you gave it to us uh, so that by it you could grab us and uh, pull us close to yourself and make us like Jesus. And so we pray that's what you would do during this time tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> now i tell you what, I can meander better if I don't if I don't have to worry about the time too. So, um, would somebody just at like five after just raise your hand, you know? And if I, and if I ignore you, just start jumping and shouting, and I'll I'll quit. <clears throat> but if I don't if I don't have to worry about watching the clock, I can just uh, I can just relax a lot more. <clears throat> Jehoshaphat's one of the greatest stories in all the Old Testament. I just love this story. Um, Jehoshaphat was a was a good king. And uh, he had a good father. Asa was a good king before him. Both of them 
did mostly what was right in the sight of the Lord, tried their very best uh, to get people to follow the Lord. Um, his father was a prayer. Um, and by the way, this, this thing is, is kind of chock full of spiritual heritage. Uh, one of the things we appreciate about you mothers uh, and fathers who have raised your children in the admonition of the Lord is you've given them the most valuable gift they can ever get. And that is a spiritual heritage. And that shows up generation after generation. And Jehoshaphat was, was, had a great father, a great prayer example. Asa uh, prayed about uh, practically everything. Except in the 16th chapter it says when he got his foot disease that he didn't pray about it. He just kept going to the doctors and so he died. <laughs> so <clears throat> it's not that we're against going to doctors. Uh, it's just that you probably ought to pray about everything. Don't leave out the details because those can be important too. Go to the doctor and pray. Better yet, go to praying doctors. But, uh, <clears throat> and then, you, you know, and, and uh, Vernon was pointing out in the worship room tonight um, that, uh, that Jehaziel, who, who got this word from the Lord, we'll talk about this later, his great-great-grandfather was Asaph, who, who wrote a lot of, uh, of, the, of the psalms, of the songs of worship. And so the spiritual heritage is all rich through this. So anyhow, so Jehoshaphat's king and... and <clears throat> He's got a good reign going. You know, he's got no wars. He's got, you know, he's got prosperity for the nation. But out of the blue, uh, this, these nations just rise up against him. Nations with whom he thought he had an alliance. That ever happened to you? You're just walking along. You think you've got a friend here. And boom, all of a sudden, they're against you. You know, they're, they're saying bad stuff. They're, they're, they're making war against you. You say, where did this come from? You know, maybe it's a family member. You know, and... and and, and they're right in your territory. See, this was the first time that Jehoshaphat was fighting a war within the territory of Judah. So it's like home, it's like home country here. So he's really intimidated by this whole thing. Well, especially the way the word was brought to him. Listen to this. Verse 1. Now it came about that after this, the sons of Moab and the sons of Ammon, together with some of the Meonites, came together to make war against Jehoshaphat. And then some came and reported to Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea. Well, that was certainly comforting, wasn't it? They didn't pull any punches there. And Jehoshaphat, it says, was afraid. Jehoshaphat was afraid. You know what? Many times Scripture says, Fear not. But that is because... The Lord has come into the situation. It's okay before you see the Lord in the situation and get a little bit afraid. As a matter of fact, it's pretty healthy. Because, look at what fear did to Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was afraid and turned his attention to seek the Lord and proclaim a fast throughout all Judah. Now, this wasn't done very regularly. As a matter of fact, it hadn't been done for hundreds of years. Fear is okay if it drives you to the Lord. It's it's okay if it makes you seek God, if it makes you get down on your knees. As a matter of fact, fear is a good thing. Fear is a realistic thing sometimes. Um, uh, I was with a group of ministers the other day, and and, uh, we were all praying together. There must have been 25 ministers. And and, uh, somebody said, you know, I'm I'm really kind of, you know, upset about this and anxious about this little area in my life, and I'd just like for you all to pray for me on this thing, you know. So yeah, so we said we thought, well, this is a pretty good deal. Let's let's go around and see if there's any other pastors who will own up to being afraid, you know. And so one by one, you know, we, said, we all said, well, we got kind of got got this area, you know. Now we're not standing in fear. This is, fear is a place to invite the Lord in. That's what fear is. It's a it's a place in which you can particularly invite the Lord to be adequate for you. 
because you're not adequate in that situation. But boy, sure enough, we went, we went through, you know, halfway through, and these two, two pastors got up and said, Fear's not the Lord. He doesn't give us a spirit of fear, but of discipline, a strong mind, and so on. That's not what we meant, you know. Fear is a place to seek God. It's just a warning signal to seek God. Let me tell you something else. Somebody asked me a couple of weeks ago if I'd ever noticed a difference in the way that men come to Christ and women come to Christ. As a matter of fact, I have. Let me, this is just a gross stereotype, and stereotypes are usually wrong in individual cases, but let me, let me share with you what I've noticed. Women, at least in this culture, are very open to building healthy relationships. They want to build healthy relationships. That's what they have been nurtured and trained uh, to do. And so if you stand in front of a group of people and you say, you know, God wants you to have a personal relationship with him. Many times, the women in the group will go, great. You know, I'd like that. I, I would like a personal relationship with God. However, the men in the group will feel uncomfortable. When you say, you know, you need to have a personal You need to develop a personal relationship with God. The men will say, yeah, I'm not very good at that relationship stuff. You know, um, because men in this culture have not been trained to specifically identify and focus on relationships. They've been trained to accomplish and achieve and all of that kind of stuff. And so men won't as automatically, on the basis of relationship, come to God. But you, you present to a man a situation in which he can't accomplish what he needs to accomplish, present to him a scenario of failure or some frustration of achievement, now you're talking turkey to a man. You know, you, talk, you, you turn to a man and say, well, you, don't, you know, you don't have to develop a personal relationship with Christ, but you're going to hell if you don't. He'll go, well, okay, let's talk about this. You know, I don't want to go there, you know. Now we're talking practicalities, you know. And I'm pretty good at practicalities, you know. Uh, or, you know, don't you realize that there's just some things that you can't possibly do on your own? Uh, and a man will go, well, yeah, I, I'm coming to that conclusion. Well, God, that's why, that's why God needs to be invited into the situation so you can depend on him. You know, he can, you know, okay, see. Well, that's where Jehoshaphat was. He, he was seeing a force that he couldn't possibly beat on his own. And he was already a faithful person. But he turned immediately to the Lord. And it says, so Jude, this is in verse 4. So Judah gathered together to seek help from the Lord. <clears throat> and they even came from all the cities to Judah to seek the Lord. And then Jehoshaphat stood in the middle of the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem, in the house of the Lord before the new court. And he said, O Lord, the God of our fathers. Now this is a model prayer. By the way, not many people are very good at prayer. Because that is, that is not a thing that we have been trained to do very well. And, and, and I, I uh, um, take blame for that. Um, but one of the things that you can do, even if you're not good at prayer, is you can pray the Word of God back to Him. Now, for us, we are so privileged and so graced by having this Word of God that as we go through this and we read it, we can pray those promises back to God. Well, Jehoshaphat didn't have that, but what he did was, what he had was the oral tradition of the fathers of the, uh, of the stories of faith that had come to him. And so he started reciting what he had heard in those stories. And he prayed them back to God. He says, O Lord, the God of our fathers, art thou not God in the heavens? And art thou not ruler over all the kingdoms of the nations? Power and might are in thy hand. 
so that none can stand against thee. These are all concepts in Scripture. <clears throat> Didst thou not, O our God? Now I just want, I want you to see how he just switched persons here. First he's talking about the God of our fathers. Now he's talking about the God of us. In other words, this is someone with whom we have a personal relationship. If you have a personal relationship with God through Christ, you have every, every uh, opening, every right uh, to stand at the, at the, before the throne and pray these things to God. Say, God, let me get this straight. You are the God of the universe. You, have, you are ruler over all circumstances. Some of you think that God isn't in the details of life. <clears throat> some, of you have taken that, some of you have taken that admonition, the devil's in the details, but personally, and think that God is only over the whole thing and he's not in the details. That's not what this says. God's, God's in every detail of your life. If you think something's too small to pray to God, I want you to remember this. God was there before you ever got there. He's in every detail of life. And so, so he's just kind of outlining the basis for his own security. He says, God, you're the ruler of all nations. And then he starts to pray. In verse 7, Did thou not, O our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel and give it to the descendants of Abraham, thy friend, forever? In other words, you gave us the land. And now here come the Moabites and Ammonites against us. And so he's just establishing this. Now look at what he does. In verse 12, he says this, O our God, wilt thou not judge them? For we are powerless before this great multitude who are coming against us. Nor do we know what to do. But our eyes are on thee. Now here's, here's what some, somebody in here needs to hear tonight. First of all, you've got to realize what you can do and what you can't do. That is the basis for all effective prayer. Many people... So don't, don't ever make that demarcation. So their best prayer is, Oh, Lord, give me strength. Well, I, I'm here to tell you, it doesn't matter how much strength he can give you in some areas. You can't do it. You can have all the strength in the world. You still can't do it because it's not yours to do. When it comes to changing people's attitudes, when it comes to changing entire circumstances, when it comes to this or that, that's not something you can even do. And so here's what Jehoshaphat has done. He started outlining what's God's responsibility and what's my responsibility. And he's come up against an area that he couldn't touch no matter how much power he had. Because you know what he says? He says, not only are we powerless, I could, but he says, we don't even know what to do. He says, we don't have a plan. Not only did they not have the power, they didn't have the plan. We don't even know what to do. Do any of you have an area in your life right now where you don't even know exactly what to pray for? You know, there's somebody who is... Let's just say there's somebody who's being a particular boogerhead in your life. And you don't know, you don't know whether to say, Lord, smite him or Lord, save him. You know, Lord, Lord, smack him with a two before until he's in enough pain that he repents. Or the poor guy's broken, he's lost. Just, just undergirding him and love him until he comes around. You don't know what to pray because you can't see in his heart. See, you don't even have the plan, let alone the power. That's why it all comes down to this. To stand and say, God, our eyes are on you. Remember what I said last week about faith not being a thing independent of our relationship with God. Faith is not something that comes by our learning. It is not something that comes by motivating, our, motivating ourselves. Just We're just going to believe it. No, faith 
is a byproduct of keeping our eyes on God, keeping our hopes in God. And when we do that, when our eyes are on Thee, then faith is full. When we take our eyes off God, then faith is depleted. And that's exactly what Jehoshaphat was doing. He's saying, A, I haven't got the power to change this. And B, even if I had the power, I wouldn't know how to change it. I wouldn't know what to do. And so therefore, I want to admit to you, it's all in your court. It's all in your court. Well, look at what God does. This is really fascinating. It says, by the way, there's a verse here. There's a verse here that some of you really need to take note of. This 13th verse, it describes that prayer time. And it says, all Judah was standing before the Lord with their infants, their wives, and their children. You know what? Some of you, especially you men, but also some of you women are like this. You've been taught never to ask for anything. And so you can hardly pray anything for yourself. Even when you're in the deepest trouble, you feel like you're bothering God. Or you feel like it's selfish if you're asking for something for yourself. I want you to see this scene. Jehoshaphat was praying. He was praying for a word from God. He was praying for himself to lead the people of God. But I want you to see why. It was because he was surrounded by his wives and his children, by his wife and his children, and, and, and their infants. And, 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 and the people who were praying were not praying for themselves. They were praying for those that they loved. When you won't pray for yourself, pray for yourself because of those you love. Because you know what? In many cases, if you go down, they're going down. Let me say this again. Because you need to realize this. This is not about you. This is not about moral failure in in your life or your reputation. What you have surrounding you are the people you love. And so what you're praying for is their safety through your instruction. Because if you go down, they're going down. So let them be the motivation for your prayer. If you haven't got the motivation to pray for yourself, let them be the motivation for your prayer. Now, look at what he does through Jehaziel. This is, this is fun. Then in the midst of the assembly... That's where the word of the Lord came. Didn't come to Jehoshaphat. Didn't come to him. Just came out of the crowd. In the midst of the, the assembly, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel. Now, Jehaziel was just, uh, he was a Levite. And this is what happened. Verse 15 it says, And he said, Listen, all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, Do not fear or be dismayed because of this great multitude. For the battle is not yours, but God's. By the way, if you haven't got that message yet tonight, let me repeat that. This is for you. The battle is not yours, but God's. Okay, let me go on now. Tomorrow, go down against them. What did he just say? Didn't he just say the battle wasn't yours, but God's? And then then the very next thing, he turns around and he says, Tomorrow, go down against them. But watch. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. And he tells them where they're going to come from. And he says in verse 17, You need not fight this battle. Station yourselves 
and stand and see the salvation of the Lord. Now, the last time this phrase was used, you know when it was? Exodus chapter 14, when Moses had his back against the Red Sea. And all the children of Israel, they're crying and whining because here comes the whole army of Pharaoh. And Moses just turned to him and said, stand and see the salvation of the Lord. Jehaziel remembered that phrase. And God used that same phrase for um, uh, the children of Israel in this case. Stand and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out to face them, for the Lord is with you. Now I want you to notice a couple things here. First of all, three different times he says, I want you to get up and go out. Now for some people, this may have been a little bit confusing. Because they were just told that God was going to do the battle. Why do they need to go? That's on the one end of the spectrum. You see, there are some people who say, okay, God, I'll just let you have it. I'm just going to mind my own business. Do this over here. Don't, don't, you know, you just go ahead and take care of it. On the other end of the spectrum, there are people who say, I'd just soon fight the battle myself. You know, you haven't given us enough to do here. So let us just go ahead and fight this thing. And with your help, we'll win it. No, God didn't say either one. He said, I'm going to fight the battle, but you need to show up. You know why? Because you need to get yourself in a position to see what I'm going to do. That's what will build your faith. To see what I'm going to do. How many of you, let me just ask you this question. How many of you never or hardly ever see the results of your prayers because you haven't followed them up by watching for the results of your prayers? You know what? God always gives you something to do after your prayer in order to get you in a position to look for the results of that prayer. I know so many Christians who just pray something and they drop it and they go out and they miss the answer because they quit looking. And so their faith never gets built. How many of you, if you would pray for rain, would take along an umbrella? That's what you ought to do. You prayed for rain, didn't you? Well, get yourself in a position where you can receive what God is going to do in response to that prayer. And any other prayer, God wants you to get yourself in a position to see what he's going to do. Follow up with some form of faith, some form of assumption that God's going to answer that prayer. And that's what they do. So they go down, and they're in position. And the Bible says they worship, you know. And then they're, and then they're going to go down. See? Because the Lord is with them. Now look at verse 20. How much time we got here? Where are we at, David? Oh, we're doing okay. This is great. Okay, good. Verse 20. They rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. That's about ten miles from Jerusalem, by the way. Kind of southish. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, O Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Put... Your trust in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Now, this verse is a form of Hebrew parallelism because the second verse, remember last week I told you many times in Hebrew writing, they have another verse that kind of follows up and fills in, and it also complements this verse with put your trust in his prophets and succeed. But the major premise here is put your trust in the Lord, and you will be established. Here is a principle that I want all of you to remember tonight. This is so important. 
If your faith comes out of focusing upon the other in a relationship, if your trust comes out of that, then what you need to guard against is is having some form of substitute for direct intimacy within that relationship. Now, this is certainly true in faith. What has happened in the church is we have given people enough to do that they have a substitute intimacy for God and they think they have a real intimacy with God. How many of you learn something about God every week but you don't hear directly from Him? Well, that's not good. Because the whole gist of this thing is to get you directly connected with God. And the church over the years has said, well, I'll tell you what, we'll have... uh, We'll just do, uh, uh, we'll teach a lot and we'll have, we'll have uh, church uh, uh, get-together groups and so on and so forth. That's, that's all well and good. But if it doesn't finally get you on your knees so that you're reading Scripture and you're listening to God, you, you, we've missed the boat here. And Satan has a tremendous opportunity to get in and divide us and to destroy us because we have had substitute intimacy. I don't know how many of you saw Othello when it came to town, but it was a wonderful production. Uh, and, and as usual, there, there's, there are these, there are these uh, uh, Christian themes running through most of Shakespeare's play. Othello is no exception. Othello is about this Moor, who's a great general, who marries this wonderful girl, pure as the driven snow, named Desdemona. Now, <clears throat> the plot develops in that there is a devilish character, Aego. And Iago wants to seek revenge upon Othello because he didn't get a promotion he thought he ought to get. And so he starts to create in Othello's mind the illusion that Desdemona is having an affair. And as the play develops, Othello is listening to Iago. Othello is seeing what he thinks is, is, is evidence with his own eyes. Othello is overhearing conversations with other people. Othello is playing with fantasies in his own mind. Othello is doing everything except talking to Desdemona. And the result of that is that at the end of the play, he destroys her and destroys himself. Why? Because he would not have direct conversation with the one who was involved. Why does it say in Matthew 18, 18, 15, when you're going to church discipline, the first step of church discipline is you've got a problem with somebody, go to them. Go to them. Don't come tell the church board about it. Don't go to tell a neighbor about it. You go straight to them. Why does it say that? And why does it say the second step is to take somebody with you to them? Because what God wants is face-to-face intimacy. And what is tearing this, this whole thing apart, this, the, the, the faith apart, what is tearing relationships apart, is we are substituting intimacy. I know people, I've just heard of people this week, who are going through, through tremendous marital difficulty, and they're talking to everybody except their spouse. I mean, now it's good to have an accountable relationship with a man. It's good to have a counselor to help you think clearly. It's All of these things are good. But if those become substitute relationships to your spouse, they are wrong. It is wrong. 
for someone to know more about you and to have more of your of the pouring out of your heart than your spouse has. It is wrong for your spouse to sit and wonder what's up with you when a half a dozen other people could tell her or could tell him that's wrong. A good counselor will, will, will send people together to talk together. A good friend will promote the direct intimacy of, of, of the reconciliation of two people together, not be a substitute for them. So I don't, I don't want you to lose this principle here. You know what builds faith? It's talking straight to God. Talking straight to God. Okay, let's, let's go to the last part. This is the last part. How are we doing, David? What do we got? Okay, okay, great. And when he had consulted with the people and appointed those who he appointed. Now listen, I love this. I love this picture. <laughs> They're going into battle. They're going down into this valley where the Ammonites and the Moabites and the Meonites, the, the people of Mount Seir, are armed to the teeth. These are trained army troops. What happens? After they keep their focus on God, they come together and say, you know what? We need to celebrate this deal. And so he starts appointing. Look what it says. And he appointed those who sang to the Lord and those who praise him in holy attire. And they went out before the army saying, give thanks to the Lord and his loving kindness is everlasting. Praise ye the Lord. His mercy endures forever and ever. I mean, here is a group of people. All these people are waiting just to come and have this huge battle with with the children of of Judah, these people of Judah, and they're sending out the band. I mean, the band, they haven't got any weapons. They've got lyres, and they're dancing, and they've got cymbals, and they're just going, and they're just saying, praise God, you know? And these, these army guys are looking at these people, you know? Well, what's the principle here? The principle is this. Your main weapon against the wars you're going to go through in this life is not your mind. It's not your power. It's the spirit. It's the spirit of confidence. The spirit of faith in God. And you know what? We need for people of faith to speak words of faith these days. People are hurting. They need encouragement. People are lost. They need confidence. And that ought to be who's leading the church. That ought to be what's spoken in the world. You know what? We have people in here who are moaners and groaners. And we love those people. Those people are always welcome here because those people have been hurt. They have been burned. There are people in here who are cynical. They cannot trust anybody. Me included. And somehow God's just just had him here. He just let him here because he just wants to love them. He just wants to heal them. He wants to heal them over a period of time. But, but in between now and then, they're going to be moaning and griping and bitter and angry and frustrated and talking everybody down. And they're going to be just a pain. And you know what? Boy, this is the place for you. You've come to the right place. But it won't be any surprise, and it may be of great relief to you if I say to you, you're not, we're not going to put you at the leadership of this joint. You know? 
We're going to put people at the leadership of this joint who have full confidence in God, who are speaking words of faith, who have praise on their lips because they know God's won the battle and they know he's going to carry us through. That's what we need leading the band here. Not the people who are the most fearsome. Not the people who are the strongest. But the people who have the faith. And that's what the world needs. When you go out there, I want to tell you, if you have that kind of faith, speak it out loud. Speak it out loud. It will change people's lives. Let me tell you one story, and then, I'll, and then we'll quit. When I was, when I was doing uh, just the last part of my student uh, teaching, when I was going through college, this is 1970. I went through Ohio University. The last part of your, your, your if you're an education major, the last part of your uh, uh, education is, is doing student teaching. And I, I did uh, my student teaching in history in Shaw High School, uh, Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, it was an inner city high school, about 97% black. And I went in there, and of course, here's this <laughs> 1970, you know, this kind of goofy white liberal, you know, is going to run in and save the world and, you know, teach everyone how to love, you know. <laughs> you know, first thing I did in there was walk in and I said, you know, God's kind of like a father, you know. <laughs> Good image, yeah, okay. So anyhow, um, I, I walk in and, and I just got my clock cleaned. I mean, for three months, I got my clock cleaned, you know. Came out and, and I had not only kind of lost a lot of my idealism, but uh, but I had, uh, you know, it was the it was the... The, la- the latter part of the 60s, and so you were against all of the establishment. You were against everything. Everything that looked, you know, like it was stable, you were against. I was against, you know. So here I am in this black mood, you know. And, and, and I'm, hearing, I'm hearing the, the uh, um, you know, all of the, all of the bad things that are going on. Kent State had just happened, and, and, and it looked like the whole world was falling apart. And, and so my aunt came to get me to take me home. Now, my aunt, you've got to know Aunt Frances. She's a charismatic Catholic. And I'm telling you, she is just an interesting person. But one of the things she's got going for her is she, you have never seen anybody so enthusiastic for Christ in your life. And had a heart for God. Oh, I mean, it's just absolutely wonderful. So here she comes. She's picking me up, and we're, we're driving. And, of course, it's one of those Ohio gray days. Those of you who grew up in the Midwest know that there's just months of just... Gray and brown. I mean, you never see the sun, just gray and brown. And after a while, you're just ready to shoot somebody, you know, you just kill. So anyhow, here we are, and it's raining, drizzling, you know. And we're, we're going over this bridge in Parma, I think it was. And there's this, there's this bridge that, that you can just look over rows and rows and rows of houses that are all the same. You know, post-World War II, little boxes, look like little matchboxes, all of them matched, you know. And, of course, here I am, Mr. Cynical, nasty, obnoxious, you know, kid who's thinking, you know. And they had a, they had a song back at that, at that time, something about ticky-tacky houses in their ticky-tacky thing. You know, you remember that? Ticky-tacky, you know. And so I was thinking about that song, you know, and I'm thinking, I'm looking over here and I'm thinking, you know, all these people walking to the factory at 8 to 5 and, and all these people taking their little briefcases, you know, and I'm here, you know, look, oh, this arrogant, you know. Yeah, I never do that. Yeah. You know, and I'm, I'm, just, I'm just getting in a darker and darker and more cynical and cynical mood. And I wasn't saying that. I, I, all of this was going on in my head, you know. So I just looked over there and I said, boy, look at all those houses. And my Aunt Frances looked over and just, just grinned, just big grin on her face. Yeah, she said, just think of all the Christmas trees and Easter eggs. 
Well, that wasn't quite where I was going with that. But it's exactly what I needed. Boy, it just hit me right between the eyes. You idiot. You know? You're looking at all the wrong things. I needed that word of encouragement. I needed to hear God was in the middle of that. God was in the middle of that. If you have that kind of faith, speak up. Speak up. There's a whole dark world out there that is cynical because they've been hurt, but they are looking for hope. If you've got hope, give them hope. If you've got love, give them love. Lead the army. That's what God will win by. Pray with me. God, thank you for this time. Thank you, Lord God, that you love us like you do and that you've given us hope. Thank you that we don't have to accomplish what we can't accomplish because that's just your business in your timing. Thank you, Lord, that as we have confidence in you, we can just be patient and watch sin implode. Watch the enemies destroy themselves. The nature of sin is emptiness. And the nature of emptiness is to collapse. So thank you, Lord, that we don't have to fight all the evil in the world. It'll take care of itself. Thank you that we can look to you. And thank you again that we can speak words of encouragement and words of praise to other people. Thank you, Lord God, that that you give some of us the, the privilege to lead the army, to look on the light side with a capital L. Teach us, Lord God, how to win those battles by looking to you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.